Section 28 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. Section 28. Chapter 8, Part 3. The Dynasty of Valentinian and Theodosius the Great by Norman H. Baines. Meanwhile, Sebastian, appointed in the east to succeed Trajan in the command of the infantry, was raising and training a small force of picked men with which to begin operations in the spring. In April 378, Valens left Antioch for the capital at the head of reinforcements drawn from Asia. He arrived on the 30th of May. The Goths now held the Shipka Pass and were stationed both north and south of the Balkans at Nicopolis and Baroa. Sebastian had successfully freed the country round Hadrianople from plundering bands and Fritigern concentrating the Gothic forces had withdrawn north to Cabile. At the end of June, Valens advanced with his army from Melanthius which lay some 15 miles west of Constantinople. Against the advice of Sebastian, the emperor determined upon an immediate march in order to reflect a junction with the forces of his nephew, who was now advancing by Lauriacum and Sirmium. The eastern army entered the Maritza Pass, but at the same time, Fritigern would seem to have dispatched some Goths southwards. These were sighted by the Roman scouts, and in fear that the passage should be blocked behind him and his supplies cut off, the emperor retreated towards Hadrianople. Fritigern himself, meanwhile, marched south over the pass of Bujuk Derbent in the direction of Nike, as though he would intercept communication between Valens and his capital. Two alternative courses were now open to the emperor. He might take up a strong position at Hadrianople and await the army of the west. This was Gratian's council brought by Richemer, who reached the camp on the 7th of August. Or he might at once engage the enemy. Valens adopted the latter alternative. It would seem that he underestimated the number of the Goths, and it is possible that he desired to show that he too could win victories in his own strength, as well as the Western Emperor. Sebastian, who had, at his own request, left the service of Gratian for that of Valens, may have sought to rob his former master of any further laurels. At dawn on the following morning, the 9th of August, the advance began. When, about midday, the armies came in sight of each other, probably near the modern Demeron Leisure, Fritigern, in order to gain time, entered into negotiations. But on the arrival of his cavalry, he felt sure of victory and struck the first blow. We cannot reconstruct the battle. Valens, Trajan and Sebastian all fell, and with them two-thirds of the Roman army. In the open country, no resistance could be offered to the victorious barbarians, but they were beaten back from the walls of Hadrianople and a troop of Saracen horsemen repelled them from the capital. Victor bore the news of the appalling catastrophe to Gratian, 
In the face of hostile criticism, Valentinian had chosen Valens as his co-Augustus, intending that he should carry out in the East the same policy which he himself had planned for the West. His judgment was not at fault, for in the sphere of religion alone did the two emperors pursue different ends. Like an orderly, with unfailing loyalty, Valens obeyed his brother's instructions. He too strengthened the frontier with fortresses and lightened the burden of taxation. Security rendered him tyrannical when his life or throne was threatened. His subjects could neither forget nor forgive the horrible excuses which marked the suppression of the rebellion of Procopius or of the conspiracy of Theodorus. He was hated by the Orthodox as an Arian heretic and by the pagans as a Christian zealot while it was upon the emperor that men laid the responsibility for the overwhelming disaster of Hadrianople. Thus there were few to judge him with impartial justice, and it is probable that even later historians have been unduly influenced by the invectives of his enemies. His imperious brother had made of an excellent civil servant an emperor who was no match for the crisis which he was fated to meet. On the news of the defeat at Hadrianople, Gratian at once turned to the general, who had shown such brilliant promise a few years before, in the defence of Moesia. The young Theodosius was recalled from his retirement in Spain and put in command of the Roman troops in Thrace. Here, it would appear, he was victorious over the Sarmatians and at Sirmium in the month of January 379 probably 19th of January 379. Gratian created him co-Augustus. It was only after long hesitation that Theodosius accepted the heavy task of restoring order in the eastern provinces. But the decision once taken there was no delay. Before the emperors parted company, their joint forces seemed to have defeated the Goths. Gratian then relinquished some of his troops in favour of Theodosius, and himself started with all speed for Gaul, where Franks and Vandals had crossed the Rhine. After defeating the invaders, Gratian went into winter quarters at Trier. Theodosius was left to rule the eastern prefecture, while it must perhaps remain a doubtful question whether eastern Illyricum was not also included within his jurisdiction. The course of events which led up to the final subjection of the Gothic invaders by Theodosius is for us a lost chapter in the story of East Rome. Some few disconnected fragments can, it is true, be recovered, but their setting is too often conjectural. Many have been the attempts to unravel the confused tangle of incidents which Zosimus offers in the place of an ordered history. But however the ingenuity of critics may amaze us, it rarely convinces. Even so bald a statement as that of the following paragraphs is, it must be confessed, in large measure but a hypothetical reconstruction. A pestilence had broken out amongst the barbarians besieging Thessalonica, and plague and famine drove them from the walls. The city could therefore be occupied without difficulty by Theodosius who chose it for his base of operations. 
Its natural position made it an admirable centre. From it led the high roads towards the north to the Danube and towards the east to Constantinople. Its splendid harbour offered shelter to merchant ships from Asia and Egypt, and thus the army's stores and provisions could not be intercepted by the Goths, while from this point military operations could be undertaken alike in Thrace and Illyricum. The first task to which Theodosius directed his commanding energy was the restoration of discipline among his disorganised troops. No longer did the emperor hold himself aloof, an unapproachable being hedged about with awe and majesty. The conception, which had, since Diocletian, become a court tradition, gave place to the liberality and friendliness of a captain in the midst of his men. Early in June, Theodosius reached Thessalonica and dispatched Moderes, a barbarian of royal blood, to sweep the Goths from Thrace. Falling upon the unsuspecting foe, the Romans massacred a host of marauders laden with the booty of the provinces. The legionaries recovered confidence in themselves, and the main body of the invaders was driven northwards. The emperor himself, with Thessalonica secured and garrisoned, marched north towards the Danube to Scupi, Uscub, 6th of July, 379, and Vicus Augusti, 2nd of August. From the first, he was determined to win the victory, if it were possible, rather by conciliation than armed force. It would seem probable that even in the year 379, he was enrolling Goths among his troops, and converting bands of pillagers into Roman subjects. But in his winter quarters at Thessalonica, the emperor was struck down by disease, and for long his life hung in the balance. February 380. He prepared himself for his end by baptism, the magical sacrament which obliterated all sin, and was therefore postponed till the hour when life itself was ebbing. Military action was paralysed, and the fruits of the previous year's campaign were lost. The Goths took fresh courage. Fritigern led one host into Thessaly, Epirus and Acacia and Achai. Another under Alatheus and Saphrax devastated Pannonia, while Nicopolis was lost to the Romans. Gratian hastened perforce to the help of his disabled colleague. Bauto and Arbogast, were dispatched to check the Goths in the north, and in the summer Gratian himself marched to Sirmium, where he concluded a truce with the barbarians, under which the Romans were to supply provisions, while the Goths furnished recruits for the army. It is probable that Gratian and Theodosius met in conference at Sirmium in September. The danger in the south was averted by the death of Fritigern. Without a leader, the Gothic host turned once more southwards. In the autumn, Theodosius was back in Thessalonica, and in November, he entered Constantinople in triumph. This fact of itself must signify that the immediate peril was past. End of section 28.